Thank you to Jay and the worship team. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm the new guy. Uh, it's great, great to be here together with you and uh, begin to uh, a, a small series, but an important one. And uh, as I pondered and prayed about, Lord, where should we start? Um, new ministry and and uh, new opportunities to grow together. And Lord, where do you want us? And I thought, you know what? Really, the foundation of all teaching from up here is the Bible. And I thought. That's a good place to start. Uh, let's talk about the Bible. Well, why is it important and, and why are we going to be studying this book, not only on Sunday morning but in Sunday school and your personal devotions? And why is this book, the Bible, so important? I want to read from Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 11. We're going to talk about the wonder of God's Word. The wonder of God's Word. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6 through 11. The prophet says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man in His thoughts and let Him return to the Lord and He will have compassion on Him and to our God for He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Let's ask God to teach us this morning. Lord, the reality is we're not smart enough we're not wise enough to understand these truths without your Spirit. So we submit to what your Holy Spirit has for us this morning. Speak to us and give us ears to hear. And to your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm not sure what uh, you would run into if you went into your school or your place of work and asked a question to the various people, what's your opinion of the Bible? Probably get a lot of different responses. Here are some which I've come across. This one person says, My personal opinion is that the Bible's a novel. Someone else says, I think that people interpret the Bible too literally. That causes a lot of problems. Another person says, The Bible? It's a bunch of stories that are there to give us guidance through our lives. Another individual says, It's really kind of a difficult question particularly because I'm supposed to be a church officer. I think all the junk about who begot who can be ditched because it's not important in any historical or moral way. A lot of the Old Testament stuff makes for nice reading, and it can be instructive in the same way as Aesop's fables. And that individual goes on to say, I don't believe that it is to be believed in its entirety. After all, a New Testament's content was decided by a Roman committee for their own purposes. That's an interesting thought. I wonder where he got that. Uh, but it can be, he submitted, can be helpful as a guide. One particular person, Nicholas, said, I don't have one as I have not read it. I got an idea. <laughs> um, a man named Mark says, it's true in its morals, but it's not to be taken literally. Joe said, it's a very good moral storybook, but should not be taken literally. Vincent Furnier as he was born, 
2012 Huffington Post stated he believes the Bible is to be taken literally and that every word of the Christian text is true. He began a faith-based solid rock organization. Interesting thing about Vincent Furnier is you would better know him as Alice Cooper, the cold rocker. Could it be that Alice Cooper is the one who got it right? It sounds like it, doesn't it? There's various opinions on the Bible. My goal in the next couple of weeks is simply this, is to cultivate a deep appreciation and love for the Word of God. Many people say the Bible is good, but lack a conviction of the knowledge of why it's important. Let's start with the, the way we reference this book. We call it the Bible. Uh, the word Bible nowhere appears in the 66 books here. The term was used for book was Biblion, and Christians began beginning to this, uh, refer to the sacred books as this. The Bible is really one book comprised of 66 books. It's divided into two testaments. The Old Testament, which means covenants, and the New Testament. Some would refer to the Old Testament covenant of, of law, and others would refer to the New Testament covenant of grace. Unfortunately, some people would uh, disconnect them, but the reality is the Bible is one story. story of an awesome God who loves us and came to die for us so we could live with Him forever. That's the story, and we can't be taking it apart. And the best way to understand the Bible is that. It's one story. And the study of the Bible really brings you and I and everyone who reads it face-to-face with a core issue. Here it is. Who will be the authority in your life? What will be the authority in your life? You see, every person has a basis of authority in which they think and act, whether they admit it or not, they do. They base their decisions on some authority. It could be themselves, it could be mom and dad, it could be the cultural uh, norm of that day, or, I submit, the Bible is really the only solid foundation that we have. So what will be the source of our decisions our plans, and our lives. And there's really only one optimum source, divine revelation. So what's the concept of God's Word? What, what really is God's Word? Why is it significant? Well, it is divine revelation, and it would be good to define what we mean. Revelation is an English word. Divine, it's really derived from a Latin meaning. means uncovering or laid bare. And that gels with really the way it's used in the Bible. The Old Testament use of the word revelation or revealing was the Hebrew word gela. The New Testament, you might recognize, apocalyptos. And both mean the same thing, of laying bare, disclosing, making something known that was one not time known. I grew up with a, a game show, Price is Right. Anyone remember that game show? Yeah, it was never right because I was always wrong. But they, they would have a little challenge and if you got the challenge right then then you got the great opportunity to choose between door number one door number two or door number three and everyone on that game show desperately wanted to know before they chose what was behind each curtain because they could either win a car or a can of spam which one would you go with and so they really wanted to know what's behind each curtain eventually they would make a pick and hopefully get the greater gift but it would eventually be disclosed what was behind each curtain. When we talk about divine revelation, we're talking about disclosing what's behind a curtain. Disclosing what we could not ever otherwise know unless God raised the curtain so we could see it. 
So we're talking about in divine revelation, God disclosing information to his creation about himself. And there you have a definition, a working definition. It's the act of God where he discloses himself or he communicates truth to the mind whereby he makes manifest to his creatures that which would, could not be known in any other way. And the important emphasis here about divine revelation is that God discloses his truth about himself and about his works and acts that men could not otherwise know. And so we have God's word in written form. It's his divine revelation. But think about the wonder of this. I think about the amazing part of this book is, apart from the authoritative revelation to us, we could never know the answers that inevitably arise in the human heart. But because of God's revelation, we have answers. We are surrounded by people in our culture who desperately want an answer to why they're here. Desperately want to know, is there hope for my situation? Or stand by a graveside and wonder, is this it? Is there anything more than this? What are they looking for? They're looking for truth. They're looking for answers. And God says, I got them. I'm going to raise the curtain, and I'm going to give you some answers. I'm going to let you see truth in reality the way things really are. And so the concept of God's Word is its revelation. But you know what? There's some things that prevent you and I from personally discovering answers on our own. First of all, our perspective is highly limited. Highly limited. As a matter of fact, uh, Isaiah 55, you probably picked up and has read it. God says, you know what? My thoughts, they're not yours. <laughs> matter of fact, my ways, they're not yours. In other words, we're thinking on two different realms here. Our perspective is highly, highly limited. Ephesians 4.18 and Romans 1.21 speak to this. Both referring to unsaved persons, Paul writes in Ephesians 4.18 that they are darkened in their understanding. In Romans 1.21, he says they're futile in their speculations. What's their problem? They have a hard heart and they have a foolish heart. And so our, limited is high, our, our perspective is highly limited. Also, human understanding is hindered by sin. Romans 1 talks a lot about this willful ignorance. And it's not that man has really lost the ability to reason, but it's that sin is affected in our reasoning so much that re our reasoning is not a neutral capacity in which we can make decisions. It's hindered by sin. We need to understand that. And so human reason can't and doesn't supply answers to the ultimate human questions. In other words, we can't get to know God by our human reasoning. We need a word from God. And God says, I have one for you. We have a world surrounded by people who are trying to figure out life by human reasoning. It hasn't worked so good. Matter of fact, it seems the more human reason comes and the more we see and read about human reasoning, the more foolish it appears. And certainly, the history of mankind has testified to this. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12 through 15, Paul talks a little bit about the correlation between human reasoning and divine revelation and why there's such a disconnect. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12 through 15, he says, Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man, he does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. 
He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. On the surface, it would seem like Paul's boasting that there's a, a better person, and the better person's a spiritual man, and, and, and the person who's a natural man is, is kind of weaker and less. And it's not really where he's going with this. Basically what he's saying is the man who is saved has now become a spiritual man. Why? Because he's got the Holy Spirit within him. The natural man is one who is unsaved. And there's such a disconnect from revelation from the natural man. And I want you to notice again the relation a little bit more. If you look at verse 14 especially, Paul really lays out quite well the problem with the natural man and natural reasoning. The natural man does not receive revelation. Matter of fact, he uses the words does not accept. The natural man does not respect revelation. 14 says it's foolishness to him. He thinks it's foolish. And if you watch TV or listen to some of these people, quote-unquote important people on TV, and they'll talk about Christian, Christianity and Bible things, and to them they'll even say, this is foolishness. They don't respect revelation. Paul also says the natural man does not recognize revelation. He cannot even understand it. And so Paul's saying it's important for the man in Christ They have a different view of revelation than the natural man. And so spiritual truths can only be understood by God revealing truth and His Spirit helping us understand them. Natural blindness keeps individuals, even the brightest of intellectuals, from comprehending even the simplest of truths. So what do we need? We need a word from God. We need God to reveal some things to us. And this is why revelation is so crucial. We can only get to know God by what He reveals. Because God is so unlike anything else. Uh, theologians use the word transcendent. means he's, he's completely other from us. And He stands far above us. And if we're left to reason, we're going to come up with something so unlike God. We need divine disclosing. We need revelation. I just got done reading in my quiet times through Ecclesiastes. and very interesting book. It's, it's written, it's really a journal about Solomon. Solomon's life. And what's interesting about the book is you would maybe expect, okay, this is the wisest man in the world, and, and so I should read Ecclesiastes and find all this wisdom. You know what? You find human reasoning. Here's a man who forgot God's revelation. He began to look at life. Matter of fact, you would count several times in that book, and I, I did as well, where he said, I thought to myself. And he was deceived. Why? Because he forgot divine revelation. It's a crucial issue when we talk about God's Word. But how does this revelation come to us? When we talk about revelation in this whole package of it, there's a couple aspects to it. I'm not going to spend much time on general revelation. That's one of the categories, also called natural. In other words, this is the knowledge of God's existence and moral law which comes through creation to all eternity or all humanity. If you were to walk out to the football game, D.C. had a nice win Friday night, If you were to walk out and look over one end zone early in the game, there was a rainbow. God did that. You walk out at night and look at the stars, it speaks to the Creator. Creation speaks to the Creator. It's general general revelation. And then you have that sense inside you that you know something's wrong. Even those who say they don't know God, if you were to walk up and say, hey, why don't you go slap that person next to you, they'd say, no, why? Because inside there's a moral law that tells them that's wrong. That's, that's general revelation. But when we talk about God's Word, we're talking about special revelation. The self-revelation of God in both acts and works. 
And when it refers to God's revelation in the form of a word, we narrow the scope to God's written word. This is where it gets really important for us to understand. The written word testifies, though, to something really exciting, the living word, Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just the climax of revelation. He's the theme of all revelation. Our uh, teenagers, I just kind of got a glimpse of a video from their Sunday school class. looks like they're going to be hitting on this, uh, the important things of the Bible and how it uh, speaks to the total story. And so if your kids aren't in Sunday school, a good time to them to jump in it but this special revelation it's a revelation in a person jesus it's a revelation in writing god used the means of communicating his revelation in written word and we shouldn't be surprised in the garden adam and eve surrounded by the beauty of the garden they knew the handiwork of god but to know god personally what did they need they needed communication we need communication to know god personally we have it in divine revelation in Scripture. But what's this revelation like? How does it come to us? What are the contents of it? Well, first thing we need to know, it's personal. Revelation of God is personal. Isaiah 55, 11, God says, My words will go forth. In other words, God's speaking personally. When seeking to understand the Bible, God's written revelation, we are seeking first to understand and know a person, and his heart. The study of the Bible is not simply an academic study. It's to personally expose who God is. The Word is intrinsically tied to a person. But not only is the nature of God's revelation personal, it's purposeful. Hebrews 4, verse 12 through 13. For the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Verse 13 is kind of scary <laughs> um, when you realize that God sees everything, knows everything. But verse 12 is one of them interesting verses we forget how purposeful it is. You see, God's Word's alive and it does something. It does surgery on us. When we read it and when we study it, it's like a knife that cuts. It does surgery. Because the Bible's unique among all the world's books because its words are charged with the life and power of God. In other words, God's words infused with life. Maybe you're somebody who would tend to think, well, I, I don't really want to share the Bible with people because they don't believe it. But someone's unbelief of the Bible doesn't change the fact it's still infused with life. Whether someone believes it or not, it's still living and active. You and I are rightly to lovingly share Scripture even to somebody who doesn't believe because it's still living and active. Their unbelief or belief doesn't all of a sudden activate life in it. It already is. Matter of fact, listen to Scripture. 1 John 1, 1 through 3. John writes, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, and our hands have touched. He said, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. John goes on to say, this life appeared to us. We've seen it. We've testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life with, with, who was with the Father and appeared to us. John said about this word, we touched it. Our eyes saw it. We heard it. And his point was, this word produced and it was infused with life. 
First Peter 1.23, Peter says, You've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding Word of God. God's Word, God's revelation is purposeful. It's able to bring salvation. That's not all it does. Psalm 119, verse 93, the psalmist says, I will never forget your precepts. Why? They've preserved my life. Psalm 119, 116, the psalmist prays, sustain me according to your word that I may live. Psalm 19, 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? Revives the soul. In other words, the purposefulness of God's revelations on display. It's able to bring salvation. It causes that life to grow. It's purposeful. And the Bible may seem like any other book, but when planted in the soil of the human heart, it has amazing power to produce living, to produce spiritual life. It's living and it's active. And if you're spiritually dry, if you're living a life of defeat, you have questions, get in the Bible. Get into Scriptures. It's the life-quickening power of the Word. And so the Bible, it's personal. God's revelation is purposeful. It's also partial. And what do I mean by that? We have the complete Bible. We have a complete revelation. But the complete Bible is not the full revelation of all that God is. I'm convinced if God told us everything, our brain would explode. In other words, God told us what He wanted us to know, but He hasn't told us everything. That's why Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to God. And Amos 3, 7 would affirm that as well. And maybe you look at it like this. You ever say to your kids, that's none of your business. You know, they're nosy. They want to know, hey, what are we doing later? And, and what about this? And what about this? And, and they want to know, and, and you know something they don't know, and you see no need to tell them. <laughs> You look at me like I'm the only one. Am I a bad parent? Okay. Um, but I think God looks at us sometimes and says, I've told you what you need to know. You can't really handle the rest anyways. Job tried it. It didn't work out so good for him. Uh, he got to the point where he said, okay, I'm done. I, I'm like a beast. I, I, can't, I can't handle anymore. I can't even understand what you're saying, God. And God made his point to Job and he makes it to us. In a sense, God's revelation is partial. It's progressive. If you look at Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 2, God's revelation is progressive. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many ways, long ago to the prophets, in these days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He didn't give it all at once. God's revelation came to the prophets but God did not give the whole revelation at once. And that's the beauty of Scripture is its flow of revelation. Consider the Bible's written over 1,600 years, over 35 authors. And these 66 books have a consistent message. And they all agree. How? I mean, that's a lot of years. That's a lot of authors. How could they all agree? They got one source, the mind of God. It's God's revelation. And God oversaw not only the giving, but the recording of His revelation. Now, this would bring up a good question. Will there be new revelation? That's an important question. There's many that you would cross today, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and others, who'd say, yeah, there's some new revelation, and there might be some more new revelation. How do we approach that thought? The answer is no, not on earth. There won't be any new revelation. 
The fulfillment of redemptive purpose of Christ brought an end to historical process of revelation. But you know what? When we get to heaven, it will be never-ending process of, uh, of things being revealed to us about God. That's why we'll worship God forever, because there will always be a newness to heaven. There will always be something new we'll be learning about God. And so all of eternity will be, in a sense, new revelation. But as far as on earth, we can expect nothing more. God has given us His complete revelation of what we need to know in these 66 books we call the Bible. Another aspect of God's revelation is it's perfect. Absolutely perfect. It's called John 17, 17, Word of Truth. And truth means that which corresponds perfectly to reality. In other words, the Bible's the only place you'll find the real deal every time. And that's what truth is, reality. We have many who would say just the opposite, but the reality is, truth is. It tells us what the real deal is. And God's revelation is perfect. Well, let's wrap this up a little bit this first week. And we'll talk about some more aspects in the weeks to come. A couple of things I think it'd be good for us to camp on. Conclusions. God's revelation must be received as the objective Word of God. It's not just a good book. It's not just a book or a novel or filled with some guidance or, or maybe some of the things are good or maybe it's just a book of good ideas. No. All the Scripture stands above us. And all human experience is subject and submissive to it. You and I can fully trust God's revelation. As someone once said, God has spoken and He has not stuttered. <laughs> He's spoken and we can trust it. It's His complete revelation. All other voices are subject to God's revelation. And so whenever you're faced with something from the culture, the cultural onslaught of this and that, all those voices are submissive to God's voice. His is the perfect revelation. God's revelation also fully satisfies our questions about the meaning of human existence. We were struck tragically with Robin Williams' suicide recently. And you might be surprised to know he's not the only comedian who struggled with life. Behind a lot of the comedian's struggles, Chris Farley and others, was a question that's always bugged him and haunted him. What's life really about? And there's been a study of comedians. They found out many entered comedy because of the inner battle that was going on, and they thought, let's learn to laugh at life. Maybe that'll make some of them questions lessen, but unfortunately it only intensified. You see, the Bible embodies all knowledge man needs to fill the longing in our souls. It's where we, you and I can find real answers, truthful answers. That's why the Bible study is significant. That's why youth group is significant. That's why Wednesday night kids clubs are significant. That's why community groups are significant. That's why family devotions are significant. That's why Sunday morning services are significant. Because we study the Bible which fully satisfies our questions about the meaning of human existence. And number three, God's revelation is necessary for a personal relationship with God. There's no other way to know God except by His revelation. We can know about God in general revelation that He might be out there somewhere, but to know God personally, we need God's revelation. God has communicated His heart to humanity through the written Word of God. He's communicated to you His grace in order to bring you into a personal relationship with God. Do you know Jesus personally? 
Today you can. Today you can decide to enter into relationship with the living Lord. I love honey crisp apples. We went to Carlson Orchards yesterday. I love honey crisp apples. I got to tell you, they are incredible. And if you've ever eaten one of them or one like it, I don't think there's another like it, but you, you can debate that. If you bite into one of them, there's stuff spraying everywhere. And it seems the more bites of a honey crisp apple you take, the more that sprays. And you're a mess when you're done, but you're a good mess. I mean, you got stuff hanging off and juice all over your shirt. And you see, each bite seems to get better, but you know what's in the middle of every honey crisp apple? A core. The Bible's kind of like that. The more we eat it, the sweeter it gets. The next bite becomes a little sweeter, and then a little sweeter. And each bite, each bite ultimately leads us to what's early in the middle of it all, the core, Jesus Christ. All the Bible is meant to lead you and I into a personal relationship with God. If you miss that, you miss the main heartbeat of what God is trying to communicate to you and I. So as we begin this series, I want to invite you to enter into relationship with the living God because that's where it all starts. That's where God's heartbeat is. It might be the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That really is the message of the Bible. He loves you passionately and completely and invites you to enter a relationship with Him. And the Bible is the revelation that tells us that's so. Let's pray. God, it's absolutely humbling to be here today to know that You loved us so much that You gave us Your Word. As we know our lives and we look around our world, it would just seem altogether right how You could just withdraw and let us ruin our lives. Let us continue to make foolish decisions. After all, it seems to be what we're bent at doing. But Lord, I'm so grateful, starting with Adam and Eve, that you communicated your heartbeat. Your heartbeats that we not live alone in this cosmos. But your heartbeat is that we can know you, the living God. We could experience your love which is inexhaustible. We can know your heart and your grace. We can know and live with meaning and have hope. We know all this because of your revelation. And Lord, the first thing I know you would want to say to somebody here who doesn't know you as Savior, who's never entered into a relationship with you by trusting you, you'd want them to know that they can make that decision today. If that's you, I want to invite you to do that. And you can do that in prayer, which is just talking to God. Right now, it's just you and God. If this is a decision you'd like to make, I just invite you in your heart, in the quietness of your heart, to pray this to God. He's here and He's listening. Make this your prayer, dear Jesus. I confess I need you. And I confess I've sinned and need a Savior. And I thank you that you are the Savior of the world. That you love me 
and that you died for me and that you rose from the dead. I now place my faith in you and call upon you, Lord, to save me. And by the promise of your word, when I call upon the name of the Lord, I will be saved. I thank you for this new life. Please help me to follow you in the days ahead. Lord, for those in this room who have trusted you and realize this morning they sit as they haven't really picked up the Bible in a while. They've quit listening to you. Maybe the cultural voices and other voices have become too important. I pray by your Spirit you would drive them to your Word. Help them to see it anew, afresh, as your heartbeat being spoken to them. Help them to recommit, God, to listening to you through your Word. And Lord, through every ministry of this church, through every devotion that every individual would have, I pray that your life-quickening Word would change us, would transform us, would make us more like you. Because we know ultimately that would bring you pleasure and honor. And we know none of this would happen in our own strength. And so together we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.